Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Brian Salter, lead pastor at LMPC, and this episode is a Pillar and Ground confession episode where we seek to further understand and apply the truths in our Westminster Confession of Faith. And today, uh, we begin our study of Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 5. As we begin that, I remind you that we have a lot of construction going on right now at the church, and so you may hear some noise. I promise you it's not as loud as what we hear, uh, but there's really not a lot of quiet places around the church to record these days. We're thankful for the work, and we ask your patience and thankful for that as well. Like I said, we're starting Westminster Confession of Faith 5.1 on God's providence and how sovereignty works. Uh, You should remember that the previous chapter of the Westminster Confession was about how God created the world. And now this chapter turns our attention to how God rules and governs the world. God's providence is simply his rule of the world. As the Shorter Catechism states, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving of all his creatures and all their actions. But as R.C. Sproul points out, he says, our world, however, assumes we live in a closed mechanistic universe in which everything happens according to causality of physical things by fixed laws of nature operating independently of God. Providence, however, counters that notion. As we think about providence, it's important to understand that providence is not mere foreknowledge somehow limiting God's ability. He sees into the future what will be, and thus it is. No, that's not what providence is. Providence refers specifically to God's care, supervision, and provision of and for the world, his creatures, his image bearers. Whatever God creates, God sustains, Colossians 1, 16 through 7. Speaking of Jesus, says, For by him all things were created, all things were created through him and for him, and he's before all things, and then the sustaining piece, in him all things hold together. Whatever God creates, he upholds by the word of his power. You see, the doctrine of God's providence teaches us to understand that God is not like a clockmaker who makes a clock, winds it up, and leaves it to operate on its own internal power and laws. It's not how he made the world. He made it, wound it up, and left it to natural laws. No, as Paul declared in Acts 17, 28, we live and move and have our being in God. I want to speak about three things today concerning Westminster Confession of Faith 5.1. First, the extensive scope of God's providence, the perfect goodness of God's providence, and the wondrous glory of God's providence. 5.1 begins with this, God the creator of all things upholds, directs, disposes, and governs all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least. You see, it is God's eternal and just right to govern and rule what he owns, and he owns everything. God's providence preserves all things and governs all things. One writer notes, all present life, all present motion, all present beings are as dependent on the being of God for the continuance of their existence as they are for their origin. We depend on God's creative power for our origin 
and on his sustaining power for our continued existence. I think to understand God's providence, I'd like to have us think about the Heidelberg Catechism some today as well. Question 27 says, what do you understand by the providence of God? And their answer is this, the almighty and ever-present power of God, by which God upholds as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, Come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. That's an answer worth memorizing. All things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. All things are under God's direction. Even the sparrow sadly dropping from the sky, even the hare sadly dropping from our heads, as Matthew 10, 29-31 says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. On that verse, Paul Tripp recently wrote a devotional called Sovereignty and Sparrows, and in that he wrote this. He said, out of curiosity, I googled how many birds die each day. The statistics are astounding. In America alone, 13.7 million birds fall to the ground each day. That's 5 billion dead birds a year in just one country. It's a morbid number. But Jesus, the author of life, declares that not a single bird falls without God's involvement. What a picture of the detailed intensity of God's sovereign governance over his creation. Another story in the Bible, Paul Tripp writes, that captures the sovereignty of God and animals and his creation is the book of Jonah. I mean, we'll just casually skip over the fact that the Lord literally picks up wind and hurls it like a baseball and move to verse 17 of chapter 1 where it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And later... God appointed a worm that attacked the plant in chapter 4, verse 7. Tripp asks, could you get a more significant contrast between these two creatures? A massive sea creature large enough to swallow and house a human being compared to the smallest crawling worm. And God appoints both to do his bidding. He says God is not simply flexing and showing off his power for his own glory. Yes, he's entitled to do that as creator, but in the story of Jonah, he's unleashing his power as a tool of rescuing grace. The storm is a tool of his grace. The fish is a tool of his grace. The worm is a tool of his grace. We must reckon with the extensive scope of God's providence over all things, as 5.1 tells us. But then there's the perfect goodness of God's providence. 5.1 goes on to say, He exercises this most wise and holy providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of his will. You see, we established that all things are in his hands. 
But I hope you realize that that's bad news if his hands are not good hands. Remember, Heidelberg said, All things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hands. If he controls all things, and he does, and yet he's not good, that's scary news. But the good news of providence is there's perfect goodness of God's providence. Psalm 145.17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. This doctrine's very good news. His providence is holy and wise, perfectly good. And thus, we know that his governing of the world is never random or erratic. It's never frivolous, petty, foolish. It's never capricious, temperamental. Uh, God, our king, does not govern us according to poles according to trends, according to opinion, but according to, as the confession says, his most wise and holy counsel, which we know to be perfectly good. We have absolute confidence that God governs his universe and exercises his providence always in accordance with his nature and the character that we studied in Westminster Confession of Faith too. He will never sustain and or govern things apart from his nature and character. We can trust him. And so the Heidelberg Catechism asks, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? And it's that I trust God so much that I do not doubt that he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this sad world. I love this last line. God is able to do this because he is almighty God, and God desires to do this because he's a faithful father. We are never in the grip of blind forces, and that's good news. Fortune, chance, luck, fate. No, we are always in the hands of our loving, merciful Father and His providential care. And so when tragedy, pain, suffering, loneliness, and grief fall upon our lives, if it were some cosmic accident, we would be left to despair. But the doctrine of providence leads us not to erase pain, but to know how to endure it with confidence in the perfect goodness of our Father, King. And third, there's the wondrous glory of God's providence. He exercises the most wise and holy providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of his will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. The glory of God's providence. God's providence works for the praise of his glory among his people on earth and among the powers of heaven itself. Meditating on the glory of God's providence leads to deeper communion with God and increasing affection and adoration of God as we see the glory of that wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy as we look back on his providential care in our world and in our lives. A chief pleasure of the Christian life is to trace the harmony of God's attributes expressed in his providence and then to praise him in worship and wonder. John Flavel says meditation on God's providence serves to overpower 
and suppress the natural atheism that's in my heart. It's so true. Wondrous glory to God for his providence, and we adore him as we rehearse and trace the providence of God in our lives. For a moment, I want to marvel at the providence of God in one particular story in the life of John Calvin as he was exiled to Switzerland between 1534 and 1536. In 1536, France gave a temporary amnesty to those who had fled. So Calvin returned, put his things in order, and left, never to return, taking his brother and sister with him. He intended to go to Strasbourg and continue his life of peaceful literary production, having just published the first edition of his famous Institutes of the Christian Religion. But a war between Charles V and Francis I resulted in troop movements that blocked the road to Strasbourg, and Calvin had to detour through Geneva. As John Piper notes, one must marvel at the providence of God that he should so arrange armies to position his pastors where he wants them. The night that Calvin stayed in Geneva, William Farrell, the fiery leader of the Reformation in that city, found out that Calvin was there and sought him out. And that detour led to a meeting that changed the course of history not just for Geneva, but for the world. Calvin tells us what happened in the preface to his commentary on Psalms. Farrell, who burned with an extraordinary zeal to advance the gospel, immediately learned that my heart was set upon devoting myself to private studies, for I wished to keep myself free from other pursuits. And finding that he gained nothing by entreaties, he proceeded to utter an imprecation that God would curse my retirement and the tranquility of the studies I sought if I should withdraw and refuse to give assistance. By this imprecation, I was so stricken with terror, Calvin writes, that I desisted from the journey which I had undertaken. And from now on, Every page of the 48 volumes of books, tracts, sermons, commentaries, and letters would be hammered out of the anvil of pastoral responsibility, all because of troop movements and a detour to Geneva and a meeting with William Farrell. Meditating on God's providence leads to worship and thus leads to the purpose and end of his providence, the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. And the implications of this doctrine are many, but I want to close with Heidelberg Catechism 28, one of my favorite catechism question and answers ever. Question 28, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? And the answer is this, we can be patient when things go against us thankful when things go well and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful god and father that nothing in creation will separate us from his love for all creatures are so completely in god's hand that without his will they can neither move nor be moved so when the big things hit us in our lives or the small things annoy us can we rest 
in the supremely wise and holy good providence of God, do we, because of this doctrine, find patience, find gratitude, find confidence in all things at all times? The doctrine of God's providence delivers patience, gratitude, and confidence, for we know that God is in control of his universe, working out his perfect purposes in our world and our lives. God is not our servant. He's our king, and his ways are far more mysterious and wonderful than we can understand, and yet we can always know he's always good, and we can always trust him. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pillar and Ground.